So this morning we're talking about the impossible. Prayers of Jesus, prayer in the face of the impossible. And we're looking at a passage in John chapter 11. We're looking at a portion of uh, the passage about the death and resurrection of Lazarus. So particularly the prayer of Jesus. And it would be good to remember that the death of Lazarus, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, is the, is, it's at the climax of Jesus' public ministry. Lazarus, his death and resurrection by Jesus is Jesus showing his authority over the greatest impossible that human beings will have to suffer. And that's death. Do you ever think about that? I can feel my mic is doing some weird thing. Um, but do you ever think about that? That the worst thing that could happen to me is that I would die. But wait a minute. What about that verse that says to live is Christ and to die is gain? So the worst thing that could happen to me is the best thing that could happen to me. That's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? that I get to be with Christ. And so in the death of Lazarus, we see that Jesus has the authority over death, the worst impossible that we could ever have to face. So let me read this passage for us. We're going to look at the, the um, uh, John chapter 11, kind of the bringing us up to speed with the passage we're going to focus on with Jesus' prayer. So, Way back in verse 11 of chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, we read this. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Notice, notice that. We see several times in this passage, Jesus loves them. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he immediately went to heal Lazarus. No, that's not what happened. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Martha and Mary believed, knew that Jesus loved them and loved their brother. So they were confident that Jesus was going to answer their prayer and come and heal Lazarus. But it says because he loved them, he didn't go right away. And then in verse 17 we read, Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus had died. 
And in verse 21, we see Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 34, we read, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to the Lord, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So here's a summary of John 11, 1 through 37. Jesus loves, Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They ask for help. Jesus says, it will be okay. And he doesn't help. Lazarus dies. Jesus mourns with them. Jesus could have, but didn't. And I would suggest that that is the story of our lives, isn't it? Jesus could have, but didn't. Jesus could have, but doesn't. We live in the, the crossroads of the impossible and the possible. That we live with these impossibles in our lives that we don't have the power to fix. But we know who does, and we pray. And sometimes, he doesn't fix it. What are your impossibles? What are the impossibles in your life these days? Those bills will never have enough to pay those bills. That relationship, but there's no hope for reconciliation. There's just no hope. That diagnosis, the doctors say there is no treatment. What are the impossibles in your life these days? What is it that you are dreaming of changing? If you could have that one thing change in your life, what would it be? What is your impossible prayer? There are two kinds of impossibles. There are the impossible impossibles, and those are the impossibles that we suffer alone. That's tongue twister, right? And then there are the possible impossibles, and those are the impossibles into which we invite God. So the question we're asking this morning is, how can we invite God into our impossibles? Five ways to pray from John eleven, thirty-eight to 34. Number one, pray in confidence. So in verse 38, we read, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. So that, that word uh, that's translated deeply moved, it actually means to snort like a horse. Isn't that weird? To snort like a horse. And when I, when, I, when I read that deeply moved, I think of like 
the, um, just the, the heart of Jesus, that he is aching for, uh, for the pain and suffering that Martha and Mary are going through. But that word to snort like a horse actually has the connotations of anger. So you wonder, like, is Jesus mad? Is he mad at Martha and Mary? Well, obviously no. What is, what or whom is he angry at? And if we think about this for a second, we recognize that Jesus is angry at the effects of sin. Think about it. Jesus, God in the flesh, he knows exactly the way things are supposed to be. And yet he lives his life in the midst of such suffering and pain. Suffering and pain that those he loves have to endure. And he is angry. He's angry at what sin has done. He's angry at what death has done. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that God hates suffering. And we forget that God hates death. That God hates our impossibles. We forget that. And when God, who has all power to do something to, fi- to, to fix it, when he doesn't fix it, we doubt his love for us. I want to I give us three things to help us when we doubt God's love. Remember the cross, remember God's faithfulness, and remember the story's not over. Remember the cross in Romans 5.8 we see, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. His love is that great for us. So if you ever are tempted to think that God doesn't love you, remember the cross. Remember that suffering that Jesus went through for you. Sure, there are things we don't understand. There is suffering that we, that we endure. That we think, God, why can't you fix it? Why don't you fix it? And he doesn't. And we're tempted to say, but God, do you really love me? Remember the cross. This historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, I know that God loves me because he became a man and died on a cross for me. So yes, I endure this suffering, this pain right now, and I don't know why God doesn't fix it, but I do know that he loves me. And remember God's faithfulness. In Psalm 143.5, it says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My thirst, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Why do we thirst for God? Because we look back on the history of our lives and remember what he has done. When we're ever tempted to think that God doesn't love us now, remember the ways that God has showed his love for you in the past. I'm sure you have like five 
10, 15, 20 things that you would point to, events that you've gone through, things that you've dealt with in the past, and you God showed up in my life right there. He is faithful. So why would you think he isn't faithful now? Why would you think that the suffering that you're enduring right now, that God isn't in control, that God doesn't care in the midst of it? Remember his faithfulness. And last, remember God's, remember the story is not over. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says this, for our light and momentary troubles. Can you imagine if Mary and Martha heard that spoken of in referring to their de death of their brother? Oh, it's just a light and momentary trouble that your brother died. Right? Perspective. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We have a hope. The story is not over. And as we know with the story of Lazarus, right? He's dead, but not for long. All right, number two, how do, we, how do we pray? How do we invite Jesus into our impossibles? Pray in obedience. Verse 39, it says this, And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Why should we obey God? I love this. Did, not, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And notice, notice the word belief here is interchangeable with obey in this context. Look what happens. So Jesus says, move the stone. She says, it's going to smell. And Jesus says, I told you to believe. And she goes, okay, I'll obey. <laughs> Isn't that us too? Like God tells us how to live because he loves us and he's got a plan and he wants to show his glory in our lives. He says, trust me and you'll see my glory. To believe, to trust is to obey. Okay, this will date me. I'll show you, show you how old I am, but anyone know Petra? First Christian, yes, <laughs> one of the first Christian bands, right? So this is a great quote from Petra. Waters don't part until your feet get wet. Waters don't part until your feet get wet. You know, that's referring to when, when, uh, when Moses is leading them out of the promised land. And God says uh, he's going to part the waters of the Red Sea. And Moses had to like step in the water. In this context, you know, with, with Lazarus, it would be like, I don't know, that dead man doesn't come out until you're willing to smell the, no, I don't know. <laughs> Obedience, right? If we would just trust God and obey him, no matter what, we would see his glory. And number three, how do we invite God into our impossibles? Pray in relationship. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Isn't that a strange prayer? 
Jesus is about to ask for the, the resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't pray that it will happen. He's basically saying it's already happened. And he's able to say that because he is in such intimate relationship with the Father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus is his intimate relationship with the Father. Why do we pray? Do we pray because we're in intimate relationship with the Father? Or do we pray because God is like a vending machine? That our prayers go in and then out comes what we want. Which one do you want to have? Which prayer life do you want to have? A relationship or a vending machine? What does God want to be? The Father who loves you? Sometimes we feel that God is just a vending machine where we just say our prayers and God gives us what we, what we want for and we don't feel close to God. So we don't feel the relationship is there. So all we got left is the vending machine. I want to give us a few thoughts on what we do when we don't feel close to God. Confess our sin, obey, and trust God's word and not feelings. Uh, in Isaiah 59 too, this is it's a pretty powerful verse. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That is a really strong statement. And it tells us something about the reality of who God is and his character and our relationship with him. And that is this. You know, we all know that when we put our faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven, right? Like, if, if, I, if I am a believer, I trust in Jesus, and I sin, it's not like my relationship with God is just broken, and I can't fix it, and I have to, like, reconfess in order to be forgiven and made right with God. I am made right with God because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, but there is a sense in which when I am living in constant rebellion against God, that relationship with God is broken. And so that's the first thing that we should wonder. If, we're not feeling, if I'm not feeling close to God, what is this sin in my life that I'm holding on to? I need to bring that to, I need to, bring that to God. And 1 John 1, 9 promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And obey. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Does that sound like intimacy with God? To have Jesus manifest himself to you. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you want to be close to Jesus? Do you want him to manifest himself to you? Then here's, here's what we do. Obey his commands. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
and trust God's word, not feelings. Uh, John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you believing in Jesus? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Are you trusting him to make you right with God, what he did on the cross for you? Not on your own power or goodness, but in all Jesus, what he did? If you have received Jesus, the Bible says that you are his child. That is good news, right? And so when we don't feel that, guess what? I'll go with God's word over my feelings any day. Because God's word is trustworthy. God's word is truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. In Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we made holy? How are, how are we made right? How are we made, made uh, in our relationship with God, restored and continued to make holy and right with him? It's by his word. Are you in his word these days? Okay, I want to teach you a really simple uh, tool to be in God's word. It's called a one thing study. And uh, up here on the screen, you'll see a picture of uh, me and Daniel and uh, Tyler and a few other students at uh, Sac State. So we go on campus every Monday and we... Uh, share the gospel with students and just get into spiritual conversation with students. And then we start a little Bible study on campus. And this is what we do. It's called a one thing study. It's just, it's like a two minute way to read the Bible. And so I'm going to teach it to you. It's very simple. Read the, read a passage, pick one thing that stands out to you, and then talk to God about it. it takes like two minutes. So if you're having a hard time these days connecting to God and his word, can I encourage you this week to do a one thing study? Read a passage. Could be just a verse. Pick one thing, a word or a phrase that stands out to you and then talk to God about it. I want to show you how to do that from uh, this verse that we just looked at in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So maybe in your mind right now, pick a, a word or phrase that stands out to you from that verse. What word or phrase stands out to you? And when we do this on campus, you know, I'm talking to a student and just ask them like, so re look at this uh, passage in John. What, what stands out to you? Uh, for example, a student might pick right to become children of God. And I say, circle it. Or underline it or something. And they do that. I ask, well, why did you pick that? What stands out to you about that? They might say, well, that just amazes me that, that I, by receiving Jesus, I can be his child. I can be in a relationship with him. That's amazing news. And so I respond by saying, well, the last part of one thing study is to talk to God about it. So from what you said, my prayer would be, Jesus, this, this verse here in John 1, 12, it says that if I receive you, I'm your child. I'm in intimate relationship with you. And so Jesus, I want that. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be close to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made me your child because I've received you.
Isn't that simple? It's called a one thing study. If still, if you're in the word and you're trusting God's truth and not your own feelings and you're obeying him and you're confessing your sins, if you're doing these things and still God is silent, I want to encourage us by this quote from St. Augustine. Whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God's thirst that we might thirst for him. And those verses in uh, Matthew 7 Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And that, uh, that word ask and seek and knock, it's not just a one time thing. That's an ask, 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 ask. Seek, 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 seek. Knock, 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 knock. We don't stop. We keep asking, seeking, and knocking. God, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. And the door will be opened. Don't give up. Okay, next, how do we seek God? How do we pray in the impossible? Pray in alignment. Verse 42, I know that you have always, you always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus has a bigger picture in mind. They're thinking, Lazarus is dead. This is what this is all about. And Jesus is thinking, this is not what it's all about. This is all about people believing in me as the one who conquers death for good and for you. Prayer is aligning my will with God's will. A quote from John White. What is your big picture? Purpose? What do you want? Do you want just your impossibles to be resolved and then everything is going to be hunky-dory and life is good? No. Life is bigger than that, right? Life is bigger than our impossibles. Life is not just about the little thing that's bugging me or the big thing that I'm suffering right now. Life is about God's glory, about knowing him, about him being known. First John 5 says this, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whoa, this is the most amazing prayer promise, right? A prayer promise to hold on to. If we pray according to God's will, it is ours. We have it. And we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. How do we know it? Because it's God's will. And he promises if we ask according to his will, we have it. So then the great question is this. What is God's will for me? Here's a, here's a small list. That I would be forgiven. That I would know him now and forever, that I would have fulfilling life, that I would be holy, that I would make disciples, that I would have the fruit of the Spirit. These are promises. This is what God wants for us. So if we pray for it, according to 1 John 5, we can trust that God will answer. And last, how do we how do we invite God into our impossibles? Pray in expectation. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. I like that it doesn't say Lazarus came out. It says the man who had died. He had died, people. He was dead. Like people who die don't come back to life. Unless Jesus does something. The man who had died came out 
came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. When we invite God into our impossibles, we can expect what? What can we expect from God when we pray? Prayer is inviting God into our impossibles, not to bring our impossibles to life, but to bring us to life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus said to Mary and Martha when Lazarus was dead. He says the same thing to us in the midst of our impossibles. I have victory over your impossibles, Jesus says. Do you believe this? Learning from Jesus. No experience do. Know this. Your impossibles have a greater purpose. Experience. Rest in God's peace by telling him that you trust him in the midst of your impossibles. And do. This week, in your prayer place, invite Jesus into your impossibles. And be specific. Let me close this in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Amen.